I'm Chris, and this is my Writing Table Podcast, where we talk to authors and other creatives about the writing world and what it takes to create the books that we love to read. Ready? Pull up a chair, and let's begin. From 1977 until 1986, Burt Weisbord developed screenplays, working with screenwriters, including Frederick Raphael, Two for the Road, Alvin Sargent, Ordinary People, Andy Lewis, Clute, Stuart Stern, Rebel Without a Cause, and many others. He also worked with actors, including Robert Redford, Lily Tomlin, Goldie Hawn, Sally Field, Diane Keaton, and Al Pacino. During this time, he produced films such as Ghost Story, based on the novel by Peter Straub, and starring Fred Astaire, and Raggedy Man, starring Sissy Spacek and Sam Shepard. Wiseboard lives in Long Island, New York, with his wife, Dorothy. He has three adult children and two grandsons. His latest novel is Rough Justice. Welcome, Bert. Well, thank you for having me. As an experienced screenwriter who has worked with actors like Diane Keaton and Al Pacino, what triggered you to write crime thrillers? Well, you know, my main work as a producer for many years was working with screenwriters. And, you know, I had no idea that I could even write. And I was working with these great screenwriters. You know, it was a time when it cost $9,600 to finance a high-budget screenplay. I came out to Hollywood. I didn't know anyone. And I went to all these famous writers. You know, I went to Alvin Sargent, like ordinary people, Freddie Raphael, Two for the Road. I mean, I can make a long list. And the point is, I was able to make these deals and these writers wanted to work with me. And there was a a list of maybe 15. I mean, that included Ron Bass and Stuart Stern, who wrote Rebel Without a Cause. And what happened was they kept coming back and I couldn't figure that out. I was trying to figure out what was I adding? How's I adding value? And it turns out that I was good at developing character and story. By the time I got to know Al Pacino and Diane Keaton, they, Freddie Raphael wrote a script that they wanted to do. And I came to New York and I read it with them, and that was thrilling. And I'll bet. Uh, uh, they were better than me, I have to say. <laughs> and uh, enjoyed producing movies, and I'd enjoyed, it's especially as a young person, you know, meeting all the people and, you know, all the conversations about movies and so on. But I felt like as a producer, you didn't have the final say. As a producer, I mean, you could have a lot to say about the casting and about the script. And I mean, it is a wonderful job. I'm not being negative about it, but at the end of the day, it's not your movie. I mean, it's the director's movie and that's as it should be. So I decided that I needed to make a decision. Did I want to direct or did I want to write? And by that time, I felt like I could write the directing option. It really, you know, I had young children. And when you're a director, you're away six months a year, you know, and I didn't want to sort of be away from my family. And I decided to try writing and I never turned back. I mean, I really love it. It was really great. And it's the opposite of producing. When you produce, the more you do it, the worse you get. I mean, you really get burnt out. 
on managing other people's problems. I mean, I don't mean that it's not fun, but it's not the same thing. You know, when Fred Astaire calls you late at night and says, you know, I'm dancing around the room, you know, it's too cold here, you know, and all that is very funny. And, you know, he was lovely. And But it's different than the kind of satisfactions that come from writing and being able to manage your own problems really think about things you want to think about. And I'm writing a new book now, and it's always reminds me how satisfying that is to me still. With screenwriting, you really have to boil the story down to so many lines, so many beats. Lately, I've had a couple short story writers on my podcast. They've talked about how you're taking a story that is super boiled down. The genre is like 15, 20 pages for this whole story. And then screenwriting is kind of similar confines. So I would think going from that to the novel format would actually give you an advantage. So many of us end up having to cut so much when we send it to the editor because there's just a lot that doesn't move the story forward. And it sounds like you would have already kind of had that exposure and been seasoned in that. I also hear that with thrillers, they have to be carefully choreographed. So what does the outlining process look like or the planning process look like for you before you start a novel? I would like to go back one second to something you said that I think is really yeah. about how it's a much smaller canvas when you mm-hmm. are a screenplay. But in addition to that, with a screenplay, you can't go inside people's heads. You know, there's no interior monologue and And that is what, for me, was the biggest thing about writing books, which is, you know, so what I do, an answer to your question is a book I'm writing right now. At the beginning, I would do an outline and sort of know exactly where I'm going. But as I've done it enough, I realized that if I can, and I'm really interested in character-driven thrillers. It's who the people are that really motivate what I do. And if you get good characters and if you understand who you're writing about and if you create what i call a rich stew you know which is a situation where a lot of things are going on and you don't know quite how they're going to turn out you can let the characters tell you where to go in this book that i'm writing now i mean i know where i want to get to but i don't have any idea how i'm going to get there and it's really great fun because, I mean, a lot is going on and I'm confident that we'll get there. But I'm delighted to feel that we may get there a different way than I would have done if I tried to do it in advance. When I've outlined the onset, it's helpful. But then I find if I try to hold on to that outline too tightly, it restricts me and it makes my story really flat. And I agree. Yeah. And there's two sides to it. And I think you have to find that comfort level. And then I know people beginning to end synopsis, basically everything that's going to happen for listeners, it's whatever works best for you. But for me, I found that the outline was just too restrictive. I felt like I should be doing that. I shoulded myself into a corner. (laughs) I agree. And I also feel like the most exciting things in my books are when they come by surprise. I mean, it's characters do things that you didn't have in your outline and you go with that and it just leads to different outcomes. And that's been very exciting to learn about. I have a a book I'm writing right now that an old kidnapping is involved in it. There's a little bit of a true crime, you know, uncovering and know how it's going to end, but I wasn't precisely sure how it's going to get there. I'm doing a revision right now and I've still kind of left that tail piece hanging. I want to make sure I do it right. As I'm going through this revision, the characters are speaking and going, wait a minute, 
this person would know this and that would make it more interesting. So, I mean, you kind of have to be open to that, right? Right. I think that's great when that happens. And I also think that one of the great things about writing a book is that you can always go back. You know, if you do something and you feel like, geez, that's not right, you can change. Speaking of books, tell us about Rough Justice. Rough Justice is a little bit of a different kind of book for me because what we're talking about right now, I really wanted to write a book which is about unusual people. And I create what I think is really a sort of an eccentric group. And I introduce them in Danger in Plain Sight, which is the prequel to Rough Justice. And, you know, all of these books have a lot of action and thriller components to it. But I introduced in Rough Justice a woman who arrives at the restaurant, which is a sort of central piece in Danger in Plain Sight. And the couple in the restaurant are partners and they're very much in love and they're very capable people. And turns out, and I'm going to give away something that I give away, you know, like you'll learn about it, like 40 pages, but it's important to talk about the book. And she comes with a really shocking story about how she got a a visa and was coming to take a job. And when she came into Seattle, she's taken on a boat and they try to kill her and they kill her and they want to use her identity. And it's a big, powerful organization. She doesn't know where to turn. And she has a letter from her father who uh, she's never met. And the letter isn't to her. It's to her mother who's died, who gave her this when she was dying. And that is Cash, the, the guy at the, the restaurant. He is, And he doesn't know he has a child. And so she shows up at the restaurant and she tells them this whole story. Cash is her father. Well, this is shocking. And they have blood tests and it's all true. I mean, there's no confusion about that. And of course, they decide to help her. And what is to me the most accomplished thing in the book is that, you know, in a situation like that, you would conventionally you know, they, she has a child and, you know, they have other relationships and a new person comes in and people feel resentful. You know, he's taking time away from her husband. She's taking time away from her son. And and I decided I didn't really want to do that conventional way. What I wanted to do was take eccentric people who are really highly functional and that they could make her feel welcome and that they could help her. And she's a troubled person. You know, she grew up in an orphanage that people just tried to kill her. I mean, she's got a a lot of baggage. And what this story becomes is, well, who she becomes and how this woman in this very eccentric family comes alive and realizes all kinds of things she never knew she could ever do. And that's really what the book's about. And I'm now doing the the sequel to this book. And of course, she's in it and she has a child. And it's become a a very dynamic and lovely family. A lot of what I hope readers enjoy is the emotional intensity. It's about people becoming self-aware, people changing, people helping each other, you know, and how that really matters. You know, I'm very psychological, my whole orientation, and I don't dwell on that. I mean, I don't, you know, give heavy handed, you know, but there's a psychological truth in the way these people change. And I think people who read them 
get caught up in that. And there's a certain satisfaction in seeing a person being able to do things at the end of the book that they couldn't do at the beginning and feeling like they've earned that. And that's as satisfying or more satisfying than getting the bad guy. It's like a found family. I think people really love that. You know, it's one thing to solve the mystery, but it's another thing to see your main character come through it better, you know, not just tired. (laughs) Yeah, no, that's and it's important to because it doesn't work if you don't earn it. You know, right. you can't just do it. You have to figure out how do these people connect to each other and what do they give and what do they get back? And it's very emotionally complex. And I really enjoy that. Sounds like a really fun read and also has a little crime. I guess the crime is about the people that took her. Oh, yeah. And there's a lot of action in that. And it goes all the way to Cuba. It ends in Cuba, which was really fun to write about. Did you know when you started this series that it was going to be a series? First book was a standalone. Okay. But, you know, this happened on my earlier books. I did another trilogy and with Corey Logan and the first book, Inside Passage. I thought it was my first book was a standalone. And I ended up writing three books about her. Nice. Now, in fact, in the third book of this Cash and Callie series, she comes back. So both books will be combined in the third book, which has really been fun. Yeah. yeah. Well, readers get attached to these characters. They want to know what happens to them next. What somebody had asked Kristen Higgins why she didn't keep writing those series. And she said, yeah, eventually... I had to get on to another series. She said, it's like, what we need is just a Christmas card from them to say, here's where they ended up. Right. <laughs> so the readers can be happy. They'll get that Christmas card. You know, so it's really you write the Christmas card for the characters where you think they end up. What did you learn or what do you think you've learned about publishing since you published your first novel? Well, that's a good and hard question, you know, <laughs> because for Danger in Plain Sight, which has now been re-released by my publisher, but I it was the, the fifth book uh, I published on my own. And it's part because, you know, I'm back at the same publisher who I like very much. And we have worked out a way to work that I like, but I didn't feel that it was working the way I hoped it, it should work. And so I went out on my own and that was really an education for me. And, you know, it really was very hard. And I discovered without question that I like writing more than I like selling books. Um, (laughs) It's a different set of skills and it's a very complicated and demanding thing. And it worked out okay. And we're now re-releasing that book to a lot of success, but my publisher is doing most of the work and I like that a lot better. Well, and publishing is just such a changing market and you know, you look at people like Pamela Kelly, she's a best-selling author and yet her books, she keeps one foot over here in the indie market and one foot over here with the traditional market. And and a lot of authors do that. You know, the publishing business changes so much. Well, and all and, the time. And and COVID really changed oh. the business. I mean, you know, I used to go to bookstores and read and that, you know, everything that I expected about, you know, publishing a book was gone when I started doing it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so many businesses, but publishing especially, it's been, and then you throw in like, I'm trying to think what company it is now that it's been on strike for 50 days. It's like, you know, you throw that in, you're like, oh my gosh, well, there's a whole group of people, you know, editors that are not buying your books. So, you know, it's hard to get your book out when, when that's going on, got to stay abreast of it. 
shift changed hugely. I mean, and there's been a lot, mm-hmm. of, you know more about that than I do, but yes. It's crazy. What do you wish you had known before you began? Before I began, I wished that I had the confidence that I could eventually get it right. <laughs> Well, don't we all? <laughs> Have you had time to read anything lately? Any any other good books? Yes. I'm in the middle of an Alexander book about Pilate, which is a series, and I'm very interested in what he does, but I don't read enough. I mean, part of what I should say about because of my history is that I am in the Motion Picture Academy because of my film work. And so I vote for the Academy Awards. So this time of year, I get 300 movies to watch. So I've got to spend, and I take that seriously. You know, you really want to know when you vote. And, you know, there's two phases of voting. One is the nomination, and you nominate in your category. So I'm a producer, so I nominate for Best Picture. So you get to nominate as many as 10 movies, and so you got to look at a lot of films. And, you know, I didn't quite get to 10. I think I nominated eight this year. But you see a lot of movies. And then, you know, once you've done the nominations, which are done now, sometime in March, will you get the nominees? You vote for every category and different from nominating. And so you got a lot more movies to see. So right now, I don't have very much reading time. Most mm time I have when I'm not writing is spent looking at movies. Now, I love that, so I'm not complaining, but (laughs) it's a little different than I used to read all the time, and I just don't read as much. And I hope nobody hurls their phone when I say this. I think there's value in movies as far as storytelling goes. I think there's a lot writers can learn from watching stories play out in movies. Well, absolutely. And talk about a place where there's been a lot of change, a business with a lot of change. Mm -hmm. Look at these long form television shows, Mm -hmm. Yellowstone, you know, all of the new things in which you've got, you know, it's the opposite of where we started. You know, we started about how you have all this time in writing a book. Well, suddenly you've got 10 episodes and that's only in the first season. And you can tell a very complicated, long story. And I watched the things that they do and, I'm, you know, it takes my breath away. I mean, because it's so innovative. I do think that a lot of the new long form television stuff is the most exciting thing that's happening in the movie business. And it's brought a lot of, you know, very talented people like Kevin Costner, you know, Mm -hmm. who really think about storytelling. And yes, that's the, I'm agreeing with what you're saying. You learn a lot from that. Well, I think it's changed the way writers, what we dream about. When I started, I quit my full-time job in 2015 to write full-time. And I was writing this first novel and the whole time I'm picturing it being a Reese Witherspoon movie. Like my dream, like that would be what it would end up. But by the time it was published in 2021, the dream changed. And now what's more realistic is if you have a good novel and it has those roots where it can grow, dream more realistically for a series, not a movie, because that's where the market seems to be going as far as books being, you know, turned into something. I look at 
a friend of mine, Katie Barber, her truth be told, it's on Apple TV. I haven't been paying attention. Sorry, Katie. But I noticed this weekend it's on its third season. I'm like, wow. I listened to the audiobook. I didn't know it had three seasons in it. But I think that's good writing where you can keep extracting and pulling threads from that first book. And it's exciting. I mean, that's what happens, too, when you have a series. We get thinking about, well, what if that could be a long-form television series? Mm-hmm. And oh, yeah. It's fun seeing these things play out like that, too. It's In a way, it's like you're getting more out of the book. You're getting a little extra. You know, those people that wanted to see the book keep going, they're getting to see it. In your eyes, what is the most important element of good writing? Again, that's a good question. I think it's really the people. I mean, I think it's characters that are true in the carpenter sense of that. I mean, where there's real detail to everything about them and that it makes sense and it's of a piece and that's hard. And Mm -hmm. that's to me where I spend most of my time. Now, you know, different writers are interested in other things. And I, of course, respect that. But for me, it's really how do you make these people memorable and remarkable. Do you have advice for new writers? Yeah, I think it would be to just keep writing and don't be discouraged. I mean, you know, it took me a long time to get my first book published. And I had all these film connections and, you know, not I couldn't get people to read. It's just, it takes a little while for people to understand what you're doing. And I just think that if you can develop a sense for yourself of what it is that you feel satisfied with. When you get to the point where you're really proud of the book, you should just keep writing because there will be more and it'll work out. Thank you, Bert. Well, thank you. And I really enjoyed this too. Thanks for having me. To learn more, visit BertWiseBoard.com. If you're enjoying The Writing Table, please consider leaving us a review. There are so many podcasts out there. Reviews help other listeners find us. Thanks so much for your support.